B, P, K, T, G. Anything with sibilance, of course, comes through very well. Such a scaramouche. It has a kind of rhythmic drive about it, doesn't it? Scaramouche. I think we'll go with a little Bohemian Rhapsody, gentlemen. Stereogram plays my favourite song Again and again And my life's just begun It is quite simply, you know, one of the greatest songs that was ever written. It's pomp rock, it's ridiculous, it's over the top, it's camp, and it's got opera in it. Does the song really matter? Of course it doesn't matter. Does any song really matter? Nothing really matters, oh, anyone can see. And my world's been turned around. It's time to soak up the sound. It's a rhapsody of light that's coming to my life. Don't push me aside, don't push me aside. But it does matter because, of course, it was also one of the songs that meant that punk existed. What more could you want to react against? It's the ultimate. That's right. Here we come. Is this the real life? Rhapsody in Bohemia. One, two, three, four. Rhapsody, a composition generally in one continuous movement, often irregular in form and suggestive of heroic or romantic inspiration. I'm Jane Manning. For 40 years I've um, been a solo soprano. Bohemia, an environment where persons with artistic or intellectual tendencies can live without regard for conventional rules of behaviour. Basically, with singing, it's the timing of your breath control and the, the actual arrival of the sound. You know, if the two things synchronise exactly, what you're doing in your voice box synchronises exactly with the moment you start your breath. And if this is out of time, then you hear this terrible breathiness, which most pop singers, you know, really suffer very badly from, and they sound all sort of damaged and husky. And there is that tendency to droop off the edge of phrases when he runs out of breath and make a feature of it, make it sound like an expressive nuance or inflection. It's actually a limitation. Is this the real life? And what I do like about it is he does stay in tune. You know, the fact he's so beautifully in tune means that the chords do chime beautifully. Of course, a great luxury to have yourself to sing with because everything matches. Is this just fantasy? He does articulate quite well. He doesn't um, just sort of moan in an unfocused way. But it is the way that you do the consonants in particular of your text, whatever it is, your lyrics. Caught in a landslide No escape from reality all those ones use the both lips. The ones that are called labials. Mamma mia. Mamma 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 mamma
And there is a fantastic spine-tingling moment there where you hear those notes. Simon Garfield, writer. This is something very special. The Freddie Mercury at the piano. And this fantastic thing where his hands kind of cross over on the piano, which I'm sure is just for show. My name is uh, Freddie Mercury, uh, lead singer of the Queen tribute band The Bohemians. Rob Comber, singer with The Bohemians. The Bohemians wanted me to mime the piano parts. And as I'm a musician, a guitarist, and have been for many years, I, I hated the idea of miming, so I thought, right, well, I'll learn this instrument instead. It took me about four months to be able to play Bohemian Rhapsody badly. A few more months uh, to, to start getting a bit more competent. Uh, so everything's worked out by ear. So the right hand I knew was a triad. Uh, the left hand did an octave. And then it was a case of working out <laughs> all the notes in between. If you found it embarrassing in 1975, you still find it embarrassing. If you loved it then, you probably st still love it. But it is clearly something that, that once heard, never forgotten. Nineteen seventy-five. I was ten years old. I wasn't really into music. As a young eight or nine-year-old growing up in suburban South London, being exposed to Freddie Mercury and Queen is always going to have some kind of effect, lasting kind of effect on you. Joby Talbot, composer and former pop musician. I sort of divide my time between writing um, concert pieces for the you know, classical concert hall and also working with different bands and, and writing music that kind of sometimes falls between those two worlds, which is a sort of an interesting thing about being a composer in you know, the beginning of the 21st century. I think that wouldn't necessarily have been such a viable option back in 19, good old 1975 when uh, you rather were in one camp or the other, full stop. Having played in a band for a number of years, you, you, you spend so much of your time practising going from one section to the next and just like, you know, the absolute snap changes. The way that they can just get from one section to the next, something that you could never really hope to capture with an orchestra in the concert hall because it's such a sort of lumbering beast. And the other thing is, of course, the production on it is um, beautiful. right down to that bit where Freddie talks about shivers down his spine and somebody drops an anvil in the background. I think it's meant to be shivery sound effect. It's actually not a bad voice at all. It's a thin but pleasant sound and he stays pretty well in tune and, uh, you know, light and crooning. And a lot of use of falsetto, of course, that, that lets the lighter tones go into it. Falsetto. A technique by which a mature male voice can reach notes of the soprano range. You know, that's a very useful male resource, isn't it? You've got another whole sort of gear there you can go into. It did go down into that rather smooth, sort of light, adolescent kind of 
tenorino, you can even call them, because you've got the, the sort of high stuff is still there from the boy soprano days, you know. Um, and it's, I mean, obviously, most pop singers' voices are much thinner, you know, they don't have as much vibrato, or they don't have as much support in their voices, they don't have as much opportunity to colour their voices and do more dramatic colours and really big stuff. But of course the microphone and the studio technicians and the amazing skills involved can, you know, enhance what is actually a very, very small sound. Their progressions and their use of chords and their structures are so complicated half the time that it's almost impossible to pick them out on the guitar just by listening. Tommy Pearson, musician and film buff. So I bought the books, uh, which had all the songs in them, and then I learned the uh, chords from there. But I, I just think there's something about their music that really attracts classical musicians, I think. And it has to be about the chordal progressions and about the harmonies and about the fact that they're trying to reach higher than just making a three-minute pop song. It's got an introduction masquerading as a song. Just when you think, well, this is, you know, this is what you're going to get. It's kind of a straightforward glam rock ballad. In comes this piano riff, and you're in a totally different song. And this totally different song is, is, is a really good song. It's a really straight-down-the-line, top-draw, queen ballad. And that's got verse, chorus, verse, chorus, guitar solo. So far, so trad. The climax of that part, obviously, is Brian May's guitar solo. Then it goes into these, this huge uh, operatic section. Who else would put an operatic section like that of such garishness in the middle of a song? No one. Only Freddie Mercury really could have come up with that concept. And only Queen could have delivered it. And then the, the third part is, of course, the, the bit that we all know from Wayne's World, the, uh, the big rock extravaganza ending. And of course, they had that classic Queen sort of slightly phasey effect on the harmony vocals, and that's sort of laid across everything, so that they can go from style to style. But but that's something the whole song has in common, that and the great aplomb with which it's performed. You feel like you've been through a whole album in six minutes. Yeah, it's not anybody who could pull this off. God, I'm sounding like I really kind of admire it. Maybe I do in a way. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? No escape from reality. I'd call that an escape from reality. Andrew McGregor, classical music broadcaster. But Rolf Harris's cover of Queen's epic may turn out to be one of the more interesting ones on offer. But where do you start? With the horn section, when you're the London Symphony Orchestra. LSO and Andrew Price Jackman turning the opening of Bohemian Rhapsody into a horn quartet that could have come from a discarded sketch for a Strauss tone poem. But if you like your brass seriously smooth, you should definitely look up north. silky sound of the JJB Sports Leyland Brass, like a rich chocolate mousse coating the inside of your ears. Beautiful. But this arrangement has holes in it. There are times when you miss the vocal parts and it feels almost like one of those music minus one recordings for young musicians. 
Sing along, by all means, but you'll have to croon. And Freddie Mercury was no crooner. Rolf knows that. Mama, I've just killed a man Put a gun against his head Pulled my trigger, now he's dead Oh, Mama Queen goes country. Rolf Harris committing murder. And the appearance of the wobbleboard and Jew's harp is a very scary moment. But Rolf really lets go, and this turns into a great cover, bringing something new and urgent to Queen's original. Instead of fashioning a faded facsimile or pushing the most obvious button, poperatic. That's the direction Elaine Page is headed. And ask yourself when you hear her, who did the killing, Elaine or her mum? Elaine Page pinning the murder on mother. And to make herself harder to trace, she undergoes a sex change as well, starting out as a poor boy needing no sympathy. But after some operatic Galileos, Elaine's just a poor girl, and nobody loves her. Now, that's quite a voice, whatever you think of the arrangement. But the one who gets closest to Freddie himself is the voice, Russell Watson. I see a little silhouette of a man. Russell, Russell, Russell. No Galileos. An astronomical omission. And it's a dreadful arrangement with pointless, ambient synth noodlings at the beginning and those slack R&B-style samples. If you're going to go that way, do it properly. My time has come Send shivers down my spine Body's aching all the time Goodbye, everybody That's better. The Braves. And they're smart enough to realise that no matter how far they stray, that prominent piano part is going to keep it close to Queen. This is one classy cover. If Bohemian Rhapsody really matters, you'll stay with Queen. Nothing else makes much sense except, surprisingly, Rolf Harris or The Braves. The rest? Bad news. I thought that was good. I thought it was pretty good. Yes, I thought it was very good. It's a collage, that's what makes it different. You never know what's coming next. But what's gone before and what comes after doesn't make that central piece leap out. Neither does the central piece make what's gone before or what's gone after more interesting to me. And all the Galileos in between. Hilary Finch, music critic of The Times. Uh, almost exclusively classical music these days. Um, I don't quite know what I must have been doing in the 70s to have missed this <laughs> 30 years ago, and it comes to me as something completely new. Yo, hold up, hold up, hold up. It's going to be the only up. person on the planet who's never heard of Bohemian Rhapsody. And when it starts off by saying, is this just a fantasy, escape from reality, I really, you know, began to be excited. But the musical material, to me, is quite dull. Do you know, I mean, it's terrible, but I was a bit bored. I wanted it to be lifted off by exciting harmonies. 
those chord progressions are such basic ones and they're repeated over and over again. Well, you can say that happens in any ground bass. Ground bass. A bass line that repeats continuously. A riff. That's something they've pinched from the classical field. It goes on and it goes on and the, the harmonies don't really get anywhere. And even rhythmically, it, it didn't excite me because the rhythms were juxtaposed rather than sort of developing or biting into each other. Suddenly the sort of miniature kind of Rossini opera thing starts happening. Giacchino Rossini, Italian composer, 1792 to 1868. With hundreds of voices, different languages and key changes and... The, the Italian words to, to try and sort of render that sort of 19th century Italian operatic feel. I don't think the, the lyrics actually mean a great deal. Galileo, Figaro, Magnifico always seem to me to be more like, you know, Italian ice creams than anything else. He's obviously savouring those syllables. I don't think he's necessarily thinking about the meaning of the words so much. I would think he's using them as vehicles very definitely for their, their sound world. I think the lyrics are burnt into a consciousness. I was reading a match report not long ago um, about Chelsea's uh, dominance, and the match report ends with these lines. It says, The game ended in driving rain, thunderbolts and lightning. Thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening me. And then the next paragraph is, Very, very frightening for the premiership. Magnifico, Italian for magnificent. I quite like the rhythmic articulation of the words um, in that mid middle section, which then sounds to me more like a sort of number from Footlights or something, where you hear very, very crisp words, crisply articulated, which is rather unexpected. I'm just a poor boy, nobody loves me. We wanted to recreate a sort of huge operatic sort of um, harmony section between just the three of us. And that involves a lot of um, multi-tracking and things. And I think uh, between the three of us, we sort of... <laughs> we recreated a, a sort of 160 to 200-piece choir like, yeah. effect. Yeah. It involves doing it again and again and again and again to make it sound bigger and bigger and bigger. I see a little silhouette of a man Scaramouche, Scaramouche, Scaramouche. is very good. You've got that sibilant, haven't you? Sibilance, this... And the shh at the end, which is particularly nice. Scaramouche, a roguish character in the Commedia dell'arte, also the title of a 1921 historical novel by Raphael Sabatini. And the k, you see, is a nice k, 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 nice guttural explosive, you know, where the tongue hits the palate and bounces off again really quickly. Scat, 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 scat. You know, you've got to get a clean attack on that. Scaramouche and moo is a lovely ooh, lovely round vowel, which of course can go on forever. Fandango, a lively Spanish dance in flamenco style, accompanied by guitar. And then there was, you know, this whole Bismillah thing, which is a kind of Arabic word meaning the word of Allah. Bismillah. An Arabic noun that represents the first verse of the first surah or chapter of the Quran, meaning in the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. Gut, of course, is another one of those gutturals like k and gut. Their partners k and gut, the same as p and b and t and d. Oh, you can hear that the, the second one is the vocal one. There's a bit of voice in it. G is vocal. G, 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 g. Galileo. 
the Tuscan philosopher, astronomer and physicist whose work led to a conflict between authority and freedom of thought. He's doing things like that, so it does come out very precisely and very well thought. It doesn't sound to me a random performance. It sounds like a performance that's worked out very, very much with all the different contrasts in styles. He's just a poor boy from a poor family, sparing his life from this monstrosity. Well, now I've listened to it again, it seems to me quite easy just to put together in a, a surreal way a collage of ideas, you know, Galileo, Scaramouche, Beelzebub. Beelzebub, the name of a deity worshipped in the Philistine city of Ekron, later the name of a demon or devil. And then to do a bit of the most simple imitating of a genre, which is that sort of operatic chorus style in snippets. But, I mean, there was so much more, so much more fun, I, I would have thought, could have been had. I just found that a bit tame, to be honest. It was like sort of the King Singers and Beach Boys. You know, I was underwhelmed. There was a section of no, 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 and we had to sort of do that and sort of... About 150 times. No, 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 no. Mamma mia, mamma mia, mamma mia, let me go. Roger Taylor, in particular, in that operatic section, is singing and holding high B flats. High B flat, that's like nearly an octave above Pavarotti's highest note. That, that one there, two octaves above. It's an octave up from that. I mean, that's just superhuman. I'm not sure whether. It's even legal to sing that high. And all in tune. I actually put together a Queen medley with my, my pub band, specifically so I could play that riff. This is the Wayne's World part. Just at that point where most people had probably either taken it completely for granted or maybe even forgotten about it, right near the beginning of the film, they have this tribute to Bohemian Rhapsody and think, oh, yeah, actually, you know, Queen pretty cool band because uh, actually Queen were never really cool and I think they probably put the effort in to make sure that they weren't cool the famous moment is when you get to the rock section and it's a wonderful moment where they all, they all do the same thing together straight in with a hard head banging rocker bit and they bond as four people you see them bond listening to this song and they do what we've all done probably at some point, with whatever song it is, sing along in the car as if you haven't got a care in the world and your world really is this song and your collective experience of enjoying it. <laughs> that was on the cards. <laughs> There's a line that says, um, Too late, my time has come, sends shivers down my spine, body's aching all the time. Uh, people say, well, he died of AIDS, and, and maybe he kind of foresaw his, uh, his, his end. Uh, and then God will leave you all behind and face the truth, which is something that, you know, you obviously was like to talk about it. And then there's a line at the end, you know, expressed very bombastically, so you think you can love me and leave me to die. So you think you can love me and... 
It's not about AIDS, clearly, because it was written in 1975, and uh, the first cases of, um, of HIV that we, we know about were, were in 1981. I think the coda is quite beautifully done. When I hear it a second time, I see how there's almost a sort of guitar and piano cadenza. and you're back to where you were before, sort of in a rather dreamlike way, and then the words are, nothing really matters to me. So perhaps there is an existential point here that I've missed. Nothing really matters to me. Existentialism, a philosophical movement that tends to view human beings as subjects in an indifferent, often ambiguous and absurd universe. It has a slight kind of Camus existentialist feel to it of, well, you know, nothing really matters. Although it's quite clear in the lyrics that occasionally things matter to the singer and then occasionally things don't. Nothing really matters. There's a moment just before the end of the song that, for me, lifts it above all other songs and makes it a true masterpiece. When Brian plays in unison with Freddie's piano a line that takes us to the last phrase, any way the wind blows... And it's that line for me that makes it magnificent. <laughs> that to me is this, that's the spine tingling moment. It was either going to be a huge success or a terrific flop. I don't know good from bad, so take me home tonight Through the highs and lows of the afterglow I'm not a lonely soul Freddie Mercury, vocals and piano And I'm just a poor boy and I can face the truth Cause I can dial a disc so you're not missed And I can be with you Brian May, guitar and backing vocal Nothing really matters, oh can see and my world's been turned round it's time to soak John Deacon bass guitar it's a rhapsody of light that's coming to my life don't push me aside don't push Roger me Taylor aside. drums and backing vocals it's a rhapsody of light that's coming to my life and I'm set and sail tonight Across the seven seas of rhyme And I'll go where the wind Andy Watts, singer-songwriter and Queen fan And I'll go where the wind blows To 